Welcome and thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. I'm Mihal Mahuna. Check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Health Zone or log on to our website on www.thehealthzoneshow.com If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get The Health Zone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Today I'm talking with the co-founder of the Effort Movement and the co-author of the Effort Books, Gaia Polini. Hello, Gaia. Hello, Miho. Um, I'm good, thank you. I'm speaking to you from Italy where I live, so it's nice. Tell me, Gaia, what inspires you to write these books? Um, well, it's an interesting story because we, John and I, um, John is the author of the first book and then we wrote another couple together and then he's now wrote another one on his own. We moved to... Italy from the UK 12 years ago. Um, I'm Italian, but we used to live in England for a long time. Um, and we set up a retreat in central Italy, close to Tuscany. And we started teaching, both John and I are interested in alternative therapies and holistic approaches and generally what makes people um, feel well and enjoy their lives and what makes life kind of work and be interesting. And uh, so we started doing these retreats, um, just generally healing retreats. And um, at some stage, this phrase, ethic, came up on one of the retreats. And we noticed that the effect on people was uh, very, very powerful. So we started... um, naming some of the retreats EFI retreats and the more we worked with it the more we realized that uh, there was something strong in this that talked to people very directly and changed their life quite quickly and then the books came and the whole philosophy and uh, yeah the EFI movement came from that and now it's quite a big thing. And you mentioned Gaia the effect was quite powerful on the people what kind of effect was this? Something about effort seen as a as an approach to living uh, that makes that just rings true to be it just touches something uh, where people go something in them goes oh that's an option somehow people have forgotten <laughs> that it is an option to decide and to realize that something is really not worth your while and that words translates, shows, uh, expresses that possibility with such immediacy that something, if we were trying to explain the whys and why nots and this and then the other would be quite a convoluted um, communication. I mean, of course, behind this idea, there is now there are now books and quite deep processes, but there is somehow an immediate connection for people to this feeling inside themselves that they can let go and some of the things that were really 
making them tight uh, don't need to. Uh, so that's the power. It seems that through the word, uh, there is an opening to a big world that's already in people. And once they access that, uh, it's like remembering. It's like remembering how to be without the weight. Uh, so the word seems to do it, and then we clearly wrote and put into action this possibility, and it's having a big effect. And is it like a form of detachment, is it, or, or is it something else? No, it's not actually. Um, I mean, I, I speak for how I experienced this. May, you know, maybe different people will say different things, and maybe John would explain it in different ways. For me, it's not detachment, because I find that in detachment there is no healing. It's, I mean, sometimes it's fine to park things for a while till we are in a space where we can change them. Uh, but in detachment, there is often disconnection and distance. It's more, and it's not attachment either, it's how to be with stuff without getting weighed down. What happens for people generally is that if they get in contact with stuff that's difficult, they end up spiraling down. So they either move away from it and then the stuff remains there and the, the issue is unresolved, or they dive in head first and they get so heavy about it that they can't move through. So instead of detachment is a connection with lightness. So it's possible to look at our stuff while we feel that, you know, not so many things are actually so heavy or so important. And even the ones that are, uh, we can be with those, we can look at those while remembering um, the effy side of life, the lightness, the love, the okayness, the fact that we are okay just because we are alive, um, so that we don't get drugged in too much and so that things don't become a problem as such so quickly. I know in the book it talks about prisons. What exactly do prisons mean, Gaia? Prisons are all those constructs or also feelings. It depends. It depends for each different person how it is. Sometimes it's more to do with thinking. Sometimes it's also to do with feeling the same stuff all the time. Is there the repetitive stuff? Uh, that perhaps originally in our life, it, it may have come to allow us to survive or to get on with stuff, but it set, up, set us in a, in a framework, uh, either mental or emotional, uh, where we can't get out. Uh, so if, I don't know, if every time we, um, let's say, try to make new friends and we find that it's not so easy. We come up with a feeling and thought that the world is a nasty place and I'm really lonely. That becomes a prison. I can't even see the possibility or see that there are some people perhaps around who have the, who I have a chance with to make friends. This is just an example. If my belief that the world is a difficult place and that I'm a lonely person comes up every time I want some connection, that becomes a prison for me. So I can never move through. I just keep repeating the same thoughts and feelings. 
or if I've been told that I have to be really, really responsible, so every time I feel like I want to be light and joyful and not think about heavy stuff, this pattern that I have to be really responsible comes up, that becomes my prison. So it doesn't mean that it's not important at times to be responsible, but if it's a kind of stuck set um, structure, then it's a prison. I don't have the choice anymore to be occasionally serious and occasionally funny. What do you think stops people from getting out of the prison? Uh, these mechanisms, they make us feel safe, funny enough. Sometimes to be over-responsible, I mean, most with being responsible is quite a good, easy example. People feeling, being over-responsible, they feel safer. This is a kind of unconscious control mechanism. So all these repetitive mechanisms, somehow because we know them, they make us, they give us the illusion of being safe and being in control. In reality, they are the ones that make us feel trapped. And in reality, we don't feel safe anyway, because feeling truly safe makes us creative and flowy and explorative. This is a kind of false form of safety, simply because it's the devil we know, it's the stuff we know, that perhaps it was set up a long time ago, uh, because he made us accepted or, or loved by our parents or he made us feel we were good. <laughs> so uh, when we start thinking or feeling we want to do something else, these all structure come in and they somehow we feel like without them we're not safe. But it's not true. That's why often we need the support of others or some new ideas like effort to break out of this belief and this feeling that we're only, you know, we can only survive. So these are more survival mechanisms. If we keep being good, or if we keep being responsible, or if we keep being nice to people, or if we keep thinking about others rather than our true feelings or desires. Uh, so when we start moving away, these old thoughts or feelings come in and say, you can't, you can't do that because people won't like you. You can't do that because you'll end up without money. You can't do that because uh, you'll be alone. Um, and the ethic process, it's a way uh, to stay in connection to this other possibility of, yes, you can. Maybe if you feel, if you sit for a while with what, um, what you truly feel in this moment and when you get tight and scared again you say or think or remember effort it's actually my birthright to be in connection with my own feeling effort i don't need to do what uh, everyone else does in this moment um, then we slowly start opening the door of this prison and we start having a new experience and it's through new experiences that our whole being relearns that uh, we are not meant to live in fear and in repetition. So these are the, you know, the old mechanisms stop us uh, and somehow give us the illusion that that's by limiting ourselves we're safe. But it's not true. People are generally quite unhappy with that. Gaia, do you think ego plays a part in all of this? 
Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, I mean, the ego is not is not a bad thing. Um, we all have a personality, and we all have certain structures and ways in which we have become, and we all have internal talk, uh, and that's necessary also to function in the day-to-day -day basis. Um, but we also have other parts, including uh, deep feelings, including sensations. We really work quite holistically, uh, not just with um, not just with thoughts and minds, but also with feelings and bodies. Because some, sometimes those messages are beneath um, the upper structure, the the more the psyche, I'll call it the more psychological bit which is formed over time and forms your personality. Um, so, I mean, it depends what you mean by, by the ego, but we clearly have an attachment to um, how, you know, how our, how our psychology is, how, how we think, how we're formed. But it's possible, it's possible to see what's, this. It it's like a kind of, background, um, deeper truth. It's, it's a sense of what feels more right, more true, um, which then more, more form structure may fight against. So it's more about getting in touch of this more vibrant feeling because that can guide us much more clearly than, um, more personality-based and more ingrained thinking structures. We all have this really amazing... That, um, that's why we don't give up, because even when people are really set in a certain way of living, something in them can feel there is something wrong here. <laughs> that It's not like it's wrong, because <laughs> don't, we don't believe anything is wrong as such, but there's something that's not really true. And that's where people need to tune into to move to start doing new things. Because if they just tune into the talking thing in their head, that bit will always try to tell them the old stuff. Um, so we really help people feel. I mean, if you know, if I ask you or anyone that's listening. Uh, where, you know, where, just even in the body, where, you know, where can you feel this more vibrant, alive bit in you and, or in your life? And then effort encourages people to follow that rather than the, um, the mind talk that tends to be more repetitive and also tends to be more attacking. And would you say Gaia is the way to be more authentic in your life? Absolutely. Um, more authentic, more in tune, and also kind of more congruent with who you really are. When we lose balance, we become... Authentic is a really brilliant word. I like the, the word congruent because in a way when, you, when we're out of balance, it's like we are not in tune with what's really um, natural for us. It's like we become a bit unnatural, we become more distant.
from what is our natural rhythm, it's our natural way of being, it's our magical expressive self. Um, so it's like we distance ourselves more and more and more from that and we become confused but also we have to set up other systems because we can't feel the real stuff. Um, so yes, it's certainly more authentic and it will feel more in tune and in balance and congruent with our... I mean, it's hard to use words here because if I say true spirit, <laughs> it may, you know, it may seem a bit fluffy, but when you can feel it, you know, when you can feel it in your guts that this feels alive and fair and real, and it's your rhythm, and it's some kind of, you know, it's a kind of like easy, simple joy. I'm not talking about like this idea of living in happiness forever because that's not what we're, what John and I are about. Um, but if you can feel that stuff in you, then that feels more in connection with the real you, the, the simple you, the, the natural you. I'm not after this kind of, we're not after this uh, crusade to find the real you because we're very flexible moving beings, but there is something in us that feels right and natural and respectful of us. And I think when I talk to people, I notice that they can start feeling that in themselves. It's, it's not so much about thinking it because we come up with more concepts but it's more about feeling something that feels right and natural for you. So you will have that, I have that, and everyone else has that. It's just that we mostly live away from that because of stuff we learned, because of events that didn't work for us, that left us closed off uh, and made us repeat closing off. And when we close off, our heart doesn't, you know, it just doesn't sparkle. Oftentimes, Gaia, fear can be a major factor of why people don't be authentic in their lives. But is there a way that effort therapy overcomes that or helps people to overcome that? Absolutely. Fear is my main area of work. <laughs> it's such a natural mechanism and there is nothing wrong with fear. Um, because it is a natural natural mechanism we absolutely need because if you're about to walk off a cliff, <laughs> you need fear to tell you, hey, miho, don't walk off the cliff. <laughs> so, you know, if something major or difficult happens in your life and fear comes up, it's really important because it shows you, don't, you know, just like where you ought to be to feel safer. The issue, so I work a huge amount with fear and it's kind of my specialization. I work quite a lot with, uh, with anything that's transformed into a, 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 has got kind of traumatic effect in people because there's, that is simply fear that gets stuck, that's not released from the system. So if we go, if we have a very difficult experience or an experience that went on for too long, or if we have it too early in our life, or if it's too big for us, whatever stage of our life we're in. Um, the fear comes up, but because we are quite rational, and I mean, it's, it's something to do also with the way our brains work. 
but I won't get into the details. I think people will just have to come and experience that. Um, so the, the fear is not released. So it stays in us. And uh, it's basically, it's, it's kind of like ends up being attached to whatever you look at. So then people are dealing with things that they don't need fear, but because the fear is still stuck in there, uh, it just stops them from um, experiencing the safety and okayness, the creativity of the next event. Um, so again, effort on an effort approach. It's like instead of getting over-focused on your fear, people, it's like moving your face from one direction it's like a, it, when there is fear, imagine if someone is stuck looking always at the same spot. <laughs> and something comes in, effort comes in and says, actually, instead of looking on that spot on the left for the last five years, five months, just turn your face to the right and say effort and look what's there. And people go, oh, there's loads of people that love me. Oh, I'm really capable in, your, in my work. I really like that bit. And maybe I'll take it and do it in another job that makes me happier. Oh, there's a beautiful world where I can look at trees and the sun and I can go and travel for a few months. Or I can, oh, this friend actually is looking for me. <laughs> and I kept looking at this other friend who is it's horrible. Um, so it's, it's, fear is a real puller and when we are in it, it's quite hard to get out because it's got a certain power and if it can break that cycle, um, it can make, it's like waking up. It's not all there is. And when people start feeling other aspects, uh, other possibilities, it's like these other energy starts guiding them. And then from that safer and more comfortable place, then often the process is also to look at the fear and to notice that it's not relevant anymore. So it can it can actually release because we are also working with, you know, with quite deep mechanisms. Gaia, oftentimes when we're actually in the fear or we're experiencing the fear, we can believe it's real. Why do you think that is the case? Uh, because it's to do with feelings, uh, Miho. Um, it's not necessarily fear, it's really very much to do with uh, often with the stuck feeling in the body. So we feel it. It's like going and touching something hot. <laughs> um, so we feel it. And there isn't so much reasoning just through the head uh, with fear. Uh, people need to contact something else that they feel that is safe and light and as real as the fear, and then the, the fear can start shifting. So it's usually not an illusion, it's just some unresolved stuff uh, that keeps bringing up fear. Um, so when we go there, we feel it, and it blocks us, it kind of freezes us. And it's like saying to someone that's anxious, relax. I mean, you know, they probably want to get an axe out and hit you. <laughs> it's like you just can't say relax, because it doesn't work. Uh, you need to work at a different level. You need to touch them somewhere where it's it's feeling okay. So effort, this whole thing that John and I do, it's very much with guiding people back to the bit that's here now already okay. We all have that bit. We really all are okay. And on the top of that, there's other other things that are going on. 
and sometimes we forget to feel these bits that's okay, that's safe, that's loved, that is love itself. Um, so that's where fear doesn't become, doesn't become, you know, it's, it's not so relevant anymore. But you can't just, you know, you can't just say it. You need to guide people into feeling it and effort. Uh, the word itself and also the way we talk about it, the way we work with it, our work is very experiential. It just gets people to notice that um, the stuff is not that real anymore. It may have been real 20 years ago when you had a really tough time or, or two months ago or six months ago, but probably now as, you know, as people in that moment, the, the moment is safe and people can feel other stuff. What role do you think consciousness has in resolving this fear? Yeah, consciousness is is very important part. It also depends on each different person where you know how how the fear is working. Uh, for some people, maybe more mental, and for most people, it starts from feelings and then it becomes in the head. Um, so generally, the process I offer, it, it holds all the different bits. Consciousness is very important because if consciousness is like it needs to witness the shift. So um, sometimes you can start with the awareness, like the fear is not, the, the danger is not really here. I'm just reacting. And then you go into the feeling that the... Danger is not really here. You can feel that things are fine and you have options and possibility. And then something opens and then your consciousness notices that. So I truly believe into a mix of the feeling and being conscious put together. Uh, consciousness can do a huge amount. Uh, it's it's a deeper work when uh, it's there to notice. I often read in my um, in my groups something I found about some research that was done 15 years on why some psychotherapies work and some don't, and what they uh, concluded um, was that. Uh, for the people who the who had a very successful psychotherapeutic process, it wasn't so much to do with the technique used or with the therapist. Uh, it, they had this ability of um, being conscious. So while they were talking about what, while new things were being talked about, they could also feel that. Um, they could feel this, this even slightly undescribable, they could feel this feeling in their body so that they realize that big shift happens when people can be conscious about stuff while at the same time feel. And something to do with effort, it goes straight to their feeling while they're also thinking it. <laughs> so there is, this, there is this deeper shift that happens when something is able to make you feel and at the same time you can be conscious about it. So you can think, I don't have to be in this prison and you feel it at the same time. And this is the way Joanne and I work in our workshops. And it just is like, 
experiencing things deeply, but also realizing it with your consciousness. So for me, consciousness is not just about I'm aware of this, I'm aware of this stuff being true or not true, because that's just a little bit just too mental. It's about being able to witnessing with your consciousness that your feelings are shifting. And that's in my books, um, and not just mine, there's a lot of new research being done about how things really change. Um, it's very powerful, and, and ethics speaks to people's feelings as well as people's heads. Uh, that's why I believe the books change. Uh, John gets so many emails about people that read this book and they say it changed my life. I did this, I did that, I did the other. I, and uh, for me, it's quite amazing because sometimes books um, are amazing when you read them, and that's that. You know, it's like two weeks later, everything is the same. Uh, there's something, um, I mean, this is probably just my guess. But when I read those emails about people having gone and changed their life after reading a book, uh, for me it's to do with uh, something communicating to their guts and hearts, not just to their heads. So there is a place for everything. Consciousness is very important. And I think the true healing happens in guts, hearts and heads put together. And I also believe into the big, uh, you know, the also big self. The big, the big us is not really big self. The big being, the big, the big us being the big being. So, if you want to call it spiritual, you can call it spirit. You can call it the the larger picture of us being alive and perfect. Is that a higher power or or what, Gaia? Uh, no, I think is I think I feel it's just a quality of being that's beyond uh, beyond our personality and our story. Is just a place in us that's just being. And I think that's what people feel when they decide um, being tight and little doesn't quite reflect my truth. Being scared and tight and little and reactive is not truly what's, what, what I am. So no, it's not a higher power, it's, it's what everything is in my perception of it. <laughs> I know you talked about feelings there, Gaia. In the world that we're living in, at times we can be conditioned not to feel what we're feeling. Do you think this is true? Yes, absolutely. It's interesting. I think there is slightly different generational um, issues. I think, I, I don't know how old are you. I'm in my mid-40s. Um, my, was, late, my late 30s, yeah, nearly 40. Uh, okay, you're a bit younger, um, so I don't know how it is for you. Um, I mean, uh, us mid 40s, early 40s, late 40s, or later, uh, I think our parents' generation, they were children of the war, um, uh, they, they were quite. I mean, they were looser and softer than their parents, but it was quite a rule-based rule way of living. Um, I think now I see the kids now is slightly different, and I'm hoping that there is this softer upbringing. Um, I think there was quite a lot of pressure put on this generation, um, our, um, of how to behave. And that has a massive effect on um, on feelings, 
you know, you suddenly start, suddenly or over a long time, you start excluding certain feelings because they're not allowed. So it's not completely easy later on in life, even if you realize you need them, uh, to access them. I think it's slightly different for people in their 20s, even in their 30s, but certainly in the 20s and younger, I, I see them, they're quite, they're, they're quite different. Um, but there is a whole big lot, and it also depends on what culture you're from. So some cultures are tighter on feelings than others. Uh, I live in Italy, Italians, they're a bit more at ease with their emotions, but then they, they have issues in other areas. <laughs> um, I work a lot with Northern Europeans, and for example, some cultures are, you know, are culturally asked not to show their feelings very much, and this, you know, and becomes hard to do so. But anything that's suppressed um, somehow shows up in other ways or forces people to disconnect, and when there is disconnection, there is unhappiness. It really is like not being you. Uh, so yes, it's not easy, and so we, we are approached with really encourage people uh, to feel more, but also to recognize, because some feelings are repetitive. You know, when you see someone, some people that are always complaining and sad, <laughs> of, that could be repetitive. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a true expression. It could be like a thought that is repeated all the time. A feeling can be repeated all the time. Um, so it's, yes, I mean, I can answer your question in five minutes, but I could answer it in five days because feelings are a big area. And yes, we're often not allowed to feel what's actually going on. So any environment, uh, we create that, other therapists and people create that, great friends sometimes create that. Any situations where you're not ashamed of your feelings, it's really healing. It's really helpful. And Gaia, is there a difference between feelings and emotions? Um, it depends. This is, can be semantics. There is a difference between sensations. I, I would call feelings and emotions the same thing. And then there is sensations, which is beneath the emotions, so sensations would be like I'm feeling uh, heat in my guts, that's a sensation, but then you could go the next step, which is to say I feel, ang I feel angry, which could be <laughs> the heat in your guts, and you recognize it as anger, and then it creates the next thing, then a thought could come, which is, oh, anger is bad. <laughs> So you, back, you go back to pushing it down. So that, that, I would say, is the main difference. So it's the sensations is more kind of energy-based. So hot, cold, tight, loose, soft. And then there is emotions, which is anger, joy, love, fear. They, they connect to different parts of the brain. And then there is uh, thoughts, which is um, usually comes with I first. <laughs> Uh, and that is to do with the consciousness. And all of these things are so beautiful and so important. And also they can be very tricky, all the three different levels, uh, sensations, uh, emotions, and thoughts. So it's, uh, it's really beautiful to work with all the three levels because uh, they are so connected. Um, and I believe 
if it addresses them all, but certainly the work we do behind, you know, the, the Hefik container, in the Hefik container. And it is a, it's a work about coming out of uh, prison of stuck stuff that's not, that's just not, um, that's not in flow and in truth and in uh, natural living, natural, i.e. what's natural for you, for, for the more true you. And Gaia, a big part of why people don't move out of the prison is because they're maybe attached to the story that they have. How does ethotherapy help them to move out of that story? There's different ways. Uh, so, for example, if you read the book, it will be through um, ideas and feelings that the book gives you, that the story generally is not true any longer. Sometimes it was never really true, and sometimes maybe it was true 20, 30 years ago, but it's not true now. So if I feel unheard because my parents weren't there for me, it's likely, I'm giving examples so because probably people can relate to that, it is likely that this is not true any longer, and there will be people around, even one or two, that are interested in hearing you. Uh, so the story is that no one wants me, for example, no one hears me. And then I go and everything I look at, I put the story on it. Not because, it's not even that I put it, it happens. <laughs> so I really don't believe there is a fault or that people don't want to change. Um, it's usually the stuff has blocked them, so they then don't know how. Um, so the story gets put upon everything, and it is like the you know the spectacle wearing a certain certain glasses, and wherever I look, that's what it looks like. Um, so yes, it's like taking the glasses off. Even the question, uh, is it really true? is really helpful around stories because it's a repetition. So if we say, or F it, just say, okay, if I said F it to this story, what else is there? So if I said F it to the fact that no one wants me, what else is there? Oh, there's this, there's that, there's the other. If I said F it to the fact that life is not fair with me, what else is there? I invite anyone that's reading, this, that's hearing this, hearing this mm. interview, to just get, you know, just following the gut pinches, instinct. Um, what story are they ready to say effort to? And if they said effort to that story, to that repetition, to that idea that that, that, that is happening to me all the time, just notice, just, you know, I'm suggesting this to the listeners. Um, you know, what comes up if you say effort to that story, what else is possible? And it really works like that with stories. It's like, okay, if you say effort to that story, if it's not true that you are this, that, and the other, that people are this, that, and the other, that your uh, work possibilities are this, that, and the other, uh, that you have no chances left, that you're too old, too young, too this or too that. Um, what comes up? What's coming up for me, Gaia, there, in my past, there's been some jobs that I've not been very happy in, you know, that I probably hated the jobs, to be honest. How could I use the effort, say, philosophy in that situation? 
Okay, so it's probably helpful to see what thoughts or feelings are held beneath, let's say, someone who ends up always with jobs that they are not um, suitable. Uh, and the story could be that it's not possible to enjoy uh, your work, it's not possible to make a living, and um, while uh, expressing yourself and being yourself and enjoying yourself. So if that's the story, I'm picking one because uh, we're talking generically. So if that's the story, I'll say, okay, if you say F it to the idea that in order to make a living, you need to, you know, to do something that uh, kills your spirit, <laughs> what else is possible? If you say F it to that and then start coming up with other feelings, which is, oh, you know, which is probably what you have done because it sounds like you really love your job right now. So, well, you know, if it's possible to make a living and being true to yourself and enjoying what you're doing, um, you know, what what do I need to look at? How do I, you know, how do I get intrigued by people that can do that? What do I learn from that? How, how have they done it? What's stopping me? And then it's a process because I'm not saying that, you know, there is natural timings with stuff. You know, sometimes people need, I see people, people, you know, people need processing, they need the time, but they start making a step even to realize and choose that this is your right will start changing reality. If I keep believing and feeling that in order to make a living, I need to punish myself, I need to do something that I hate. Life will keep offering me that. If somewhat truly I start believing that I, my work can be an expression of me, then I start getting new insights, new possibilities, new bits, maybe even small projects. And then new things come up. So fair enough there's a, if it's a process and if it also takes natural time. But uh, small steps can be made immediately. This, I believe, I see people doing that. Oftentimes, self-doubt can be a factor about why we don't take action in our lives. How could we change that? The work that needs to be done is with the doubt, not with the action. The action comes naturally. Um, I teach a lot about spontaneous action, not forced action. Often forced action comes from fear. So if I'm not happy in this place, I'll just do something. Uh, occasionally that helps to move the energy and to move things. But if I'm moving from fear, so I ask people, uh, if there is movement, is that from fear or not? And if there is stillness, is that because of fear or not? Um, I work with a doubt before I work with the movement. If you are really in doubt of yourself, then uh, it's worth looking at what's confusing you. Again, this is quite, this is quite a big area. Um, There is a time for action and there is a time for starting to notice what's, you know, what's confused. 
So sometimes people first need to, sometimes it's fine not to move um, because people don't really know what they want, how they feel. So I'll work first with how they feel until this natural um, clarity comes up. And then action is quite clear. In fact, usually life provides the action even before people um, try too hard. So I generally encourage people to uh, start tuning in, tuning into what they feel and what they, um, what's opening up in their lives and then seeing what that opens in terms of action. So I understand that when there is doubt, there is no action because people don't know how they feel uh, and they don't know what they need. So of course they don't know where to go. So first how they feel and then what they do. I know you're in Ireland in the end of the month as well, Gaia. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Uh, yes, actually, very relevant. I'm working um, uh, with um, repetitive patterns, so it's very relevant to what we talked about. Um, I'm going to be in Galway in a really wonderful um, big workshop room overlooking some lakes. Uh, and it's going to be a two and a half days workshop, so Friday 26th. Uh, Saturday 27th and Sunday morning the 28th of February um, and it's a group and we're going to explore effort and how it works with repetitive patterns and how to get free of those. Um, there is loads of information on our site and the site is um, effithelps.com and it's written f-it-helps dot com um, and yes it's uh, workshops are the best place to experience and explore and it's quite amazing how much can shift in a couple of days through this um, approach uh, I'll be leading that and yes this is what I've been doing for many years now uh, to support people create a very uh, supportive uh, an enlightening environment so that people can um, actually in the moment feel that there is uh, new stuff available um, for them and then go off in life and try out. So I look forward to be coming to your country very soon. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and really enjoy chatting with you. I've enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you, Michal, for... Yeah, for creating this and thanks everyone for uh, listening and yes, I hope the, the interview in some way touches you, whoever is listening out there, just notice what's touched and what, what new stuff can come from this. Thank you very much. Thank you too, Gaia. Cheers. Lovely talking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for listening to another show of The Health Zone. Tune in next week for more exciting and interesting topics and guests in the areas of spirituality, relationships, finance, creativity, health, career and much, much more. 
In the meantime, check out and like our Facebook page on www.facebook.com forward slash the Hellstone Show or follow us on Twitter on the letter D Hellstone or log on to our website www.thehellstoneshow.com. If you subscribe to our mailing list on there, you will get the Hellstone Show delivered to your inbox every week and also you'll get a copy of our free book called How to Transform Your Health in 2016. Also, if you have any feedback on the show or if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Well, until next week, have a fantastic, healthy and happy week.